Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Lunid. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I've got my Lords of Limited t-shirt on from Tee Public. I am jazzed and ready to talk some AFR with you. Wow, what an introduction. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you too. I have not had very much magic in my life this weekend. We had some friends staying at our house, but I am very excited on this Sunday night to be talking some adventures in the Forgotten Realm with you. How have the drafts been this weekend? They've been going. I have streamed a few times. I've ended up in not blue decks awkwardly because we're talking about blue this week, but <laughs> I do see people playing blue a lot and I've played against a lot of blue decks. So a lot of my takes on blue are going to be from my opponents doing things with blue. And I've seen my opponents do some good things with blue and I've definitely lost to some blue decks, but I keep ending up in like green, white and things like that because it feels like everyone and their mom is trying to draft red, black right now. And so I've been kind of soft avoiding that a little bit. Yeah, I'm still mostly on my, my Esper train life. A lot of my drafts have been white, blue or white, black. I am very much I think almost all of my drafts recently have been base white, which is good because I think white is well positioned in the format and can do a lot of sweet things. And I see a little bit uh, down in our show notes that you uh, you might be on the control venture life these days. Yeah, that deck's so fun to play. It's I think that's my favorite thing to do when it comes together. You don't get to do it that often, but those decks are really fun to play when they come together. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. So I'll be interested to hear what uh, what sort of like sweet things you've gotten to assemble or just what's been fun for for you about that uh, a little later in the episode. And as Ben alluded to, we are going to be talking about blue. We're taking the blue pill this week. And I think one of the reasons that we want to talk about blue is because of the power level disparity here. We haven't really seen this in recent sets to this extreme. I think blue is really uh, bringing up the rear hard it's uh it's quite quite very solidly in fifth place with a big gap between what i think is the next color up which is green and fourth but maybe some some things that you can learn from how bad blue is in this format and some things to learn from how you can win with blue in this format so we're going to dive deep into that but before we get into all that good stuff a few housekeeping things first things first is the patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose you know one of the really sweet things about the patreon is uh, a few months ago we unlocked this big stretch goal to do a bonus episode every month. And we're going to be doing that bonus episode this week, Ben, actually tomorrow morning, we're going to record that bonus episode. So that's something we've been churning out uh, each and every month since we unlocked that. And that's a really sweet thing from the Patreon. Other great stuff happening at the Patreon we talk about every week. The Discord's great. Getting access to the show notes is great. Getting access to uh, a private section of the Discord or even coaching sessions, all that's available on the Patreon page if that works for you. And of course, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold the first week that they join. So this week we are welcoming Carlo. Rusty, Christian, Taylor, Carl, Johannes, Travis, John, Amir, Mateo, Thomas, and Brian. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you in part now by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need, magic related. CFB Pro, also put out by Channel Fireball. You can subscribe $9.99 a month and get that amount back in store credit. So you're essentially getting it for free if you shop at Channel Fireball for sealed product or singles anyway. Or you can do $4.99 a month and it gives you access to CFB Pro where, you know, we're writing articles. Alex is writing articles. You know, the pros on Team Channel Fireball are writing articles. There are some bangers on CFB Pro right now. You just put out an amazing article. Alex just put out an amazing article. 
both of those are very good on Adventures in Forgotten Realms. I put out an article as well. I don't think it's quite as good as your two articles, <laughs> but you know, I think it will help you win a little bit more. So consider signing up for CFB Pro if you want some more content in your life and anything that you get over there, please use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there when you check out. Speaking of channelfireball.com, one of the sweet things that's happened since we partnered with them is the Lords Plus Cord versus Resources Showdown. And we are going to be doing our fifth installment of that this coming Friday, July 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And that's going to be Team Draft for Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. And we're currently two and two and actually all tied up even in matches. So this is going to be a cool little tiebreaker uh, for our fifth and uh, not final, but fifth uh, matchup in the series here. I'm ready to score a critical hit. Watch out, Team LR. <laughs> That's right. We're going to get some uh, some nat 20s here for that uh, for that matchup. All right. So before we dive into to blue and all the, the baggage that comes with that, I wanted to just sort of do a little bit of a check in again, general format updates, thoughts, maybe cards that we're excited about or or things things that we've done that we've seen that we're we want to talk about. So first up here is something that I got to experience doing uh doing the AFR Discord party last weekend, which is Prosperous Innkeeper plus Cleric class. Uh, so Prosperous Innkeeper is the one in the green 1-1, one, one, makes a treasure, and then every time a creature comes into play under your control, uh, you gain a life. And then Cleric class is the class enchantment that cares about life gain. And when you level that puppy up, or even just to the second level there, and every creature coming into play is not only gaining you two life, but also putting a plus and plus one counter on something, it's a pretty big game. Yeah, I've been very impressed with Cleric class, especially in green-white, but just in general as well. The third chapter, reanimating something and then gaining life equal to its what power toughness. I think it's toughness, but that's a huge swing when that happens. I've, I've liked cleric class quite a bit. Well, the thing about it is, and I've gotten questions about this on stream, is that people are like, well, do you feel like you have to work towards it or that it's just a green white card? And as Ben just said, I don't think it, it has to only go in green white because it's not hard for you to get a few incidental life gain enablers like some priests of ancient lore or the steadfast paladins you know white's got some inherent life gain maybe you're going into the mad mage and that first uh, level is getting you a life and then you just get to like reanimate one of your important creatures it's really great yeah i think it's very strong and also being able to search it up with the moonlight cleric or whatever that card's called yeah moon blessed cleric yeah I've, I've liked Cleric class. I think it is just specific to white. There's enough life gain in white to make it work. I agree. Uh, I know you're high on this card now, too, but you hear something on watch is slowly creeping up my white common power rankings. It's so good. I think it's close to better than Minimus Containment. I'm not quite there yet because Minimus Containment has some extra flexibility of being able to hit artifacts and enchantments, and there's so many good ones running around. But mm -hmm. there's also the drawback of it dying to the stupid Beholder and... The one three yep. cleric, which is just like really rough when that happens. It's game losing pretty much. I think when those cards eat your minimus containment, especially in best of one. And I, I will say you hear something on watch. So you, you read the card and you're like, all right, deal five damage to an attacking creature. So it's not going to be good on attacks. But the plus one plus one anthem does like effectively kill blockers sometimes. It's sometimes an oops, I win. I can't tell you how many times people have like they just they don't play around it at all. Like even on attacks, they don't play around it. But on blocks, they're not thinking, oh no, what happens when I just line up everything to match up exactly power and toughness wise? Am I going to get blown out by this common? And I've just found it to be great, especially because of all these white based control decks I've been drafting. Like it's just the premium white common for those decks. Yeah. And normally when you see cards like this, they're only good on offense or they're only good on defense. This is good on both. And, you know, ideally you want your things when you're attacking to clear blockers out of the way. But I don't think you care that much about that in this format. You just want to win 
combat for two mana. And I think that's good enough. The only time you're really sad about this card is when your opponent's getting, you know, attack triggers from like their hoarding ogre or things like that. There are a lot of things that trigger on attacks. And that's really the only time you're sad about this card. The rest of the time, I've been very happy with you here. Something on watch. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, Speaking of my my white based venture decks, I think I'm finally off of Ranger's Hawk as repeatable venture. I just don't want my repeatable venture stuff to be able to die. So I'm, I'm firmly in the I even think Secret Door might be better. But even that's a little fragile or whatever. I'm just firmly on rope and map as being the best. Yeah, and I think map is significantly better than rope. And I have not. Yes, I've, I was never on the Rangers Hawk train. I just think the body's a little too small. I agree. Well, there was always this thought in my mind was like, well, there are some times where maybe you're just going to be the beatdown deck and you're happy with the one mana one one chipping in for whatever four damage if it's in your opener. It just never works out that way. Nope. Talk to me about these next two. I am intrigued here. You're ambushed on the road and you come to a river as sideboard tech versus steel and sack. Yeah. So you're ambushed on the road is the one mana white trick that lets you uh, return a creature you control to its owner's hand or plus one plus three. And then you come to a river is the bounce spell in blue or you can give something plus one plus oh and unblockable, which I always forget about that second mode. Like I have definitely missed lethal with that in my hand multiple times. <laughs> um, but facing red, black, steel and sack, I think uh, these are really, really good as combating price of loyalty. And so what you get to do is either with your, your ambush on the road, you get to bounce your creature in response to them trying to steal it. Or you can bounce your creature with you come to a river. Or if they're only, you know, they're tapping out and their only sack outlet is a sepulcher ghoul. Well, then you can maybe just bounce that instead if you can afford to take the life hit from your creature attacking you uh, being stolen with price of loyalty only for a turn. But I found those to be very, very effective sideboard tech. And they're honestly not bad main deck cards uh, if you're playing best of one, but good sideboard tech versus the red, black, steel and sack deck. Yeah, I read our show notes and I squeezed a you're ambushed in the road in one of my white decks and I got to live the dream. I got a blank yeah. a price of loyalty. Speaking of red, black sack. So that is like the, the hotness, right? I think everyone has decided <laughs> that's the best deck in the format. And I agree with that. But I think that has caused people to misevaluate cards that are only good in red, black or at their best in red, black, like the aforementioned price of loyalty, like Sepulcher Ghoul, I think even like Deadly Dispute. Those are three cards that I feel like people always want me to draft when I'm in one of those colors, but not when I'm in that exact color pair. And I will even say er, earlier uh, this week on stream, I had a red, black deck that went 3-0, but it actually ended up cutting Uh, I had like a few steel and sack pieces, but my deck was primarily built around treasures. I had Kalein and a bunch of hoarding ogres, and I was trying to do more treasure-based stuff and then gumming that up with this tiny steel and sack package didn't make a lot of sense. What, What are your thoughts on that? My first thought is that Kalein into Hoarding Ogre is probably my second favorite thing to do in the format <laughs> behind Teleportation Circle. I love Hoarding Ogre. I had like a bucket of treasures and nothing to do with them. And then like someone bounced my Hoarding Ogre and I was like, oh, well, now it's a 7-7. And then I like <laughs> top decked a Baleful Beholder. And I was like, oh, cool. Now it's like a 12-11 or whatever. And that's a bit, it was a bit of overkill. But I was like, there's still something to do with these treasures in the late game. Yeah, I will say of those three cards you pointed out, I really do like Deadly Dispute outside of straight red black because they feed each other in multiples like if you can just Mm -hmm. get the first one going i just think that card's very efficient card draw in a format where there's not a lot of good card draw and it is by far the best way to draw cards so i i definitely hear that uh, the feeding each other thing my problem is i feel like so what where do i have room for that for like three deadly disputes in my black white venture deck i just don't feel like i have room for that or or maybe in black green but even then like 
what am I sacrificing to start that chain off? There's not a lot of treasures anyway. I don't know. I've, I've just found it awkward. Yeah, I've not actually played it outside of Red Black a ton, but I do like the idea of it. I, I hear what you're saying about not having room, though, like just trying to picture white black and trying to put three deadly disputes in there or something. So you're not into it as just like a one of in a random black deck or something. I could see it for sure. I, I don't think it's embarrassing to play at all. But I also think it's like in that respect, it's not a high pick for me if I'm not in black, red, steel and sack specifically. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but so, so I don't know that, that those are my thoughts about those cards. I feel like there's some some others like Sepulchre Ghoul. I've, I've definitely come down on as the weeks of the format have progressed. Um, here's a here's a point for you. I am finally on board with Earth Cult Elemental. Ramping it out with treasure is gas because you have the treasure floating around to sack to it if you low roll. And six toughness is really hard to deal with, right? It gets out of range of Ferret's Fireball and Spike Pit Trap, which is kind of a big deal. I have definitely found the 6-6 six, six body to be good. Yeah, it, you just play it if you want a 6-6, six, six, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think some, some decks are definitely interested in, as as may, maybe a, a preview to Alex's article uh, that he wrote uh, for CFP this past week. I mean, you are interested in some number of six drops. Yeah, after reading Alex's article, I really have tried to make sure that my cards are pulling their weight as cards like that i'm not really putting inconsequential bodies in when i don't need to and really what we talked about last week also just trying to decide how am i winning is it with my two drops or not and if it's not with my two drops i may be trying to skimp a little bit more on the beginning of the curve than i would have earlier in the format yeah and definitely thinking about i think the middle of the curve and those cards that often end up just trading for two drops right i mean i think it I'm thinking of Inspiring Bard, though I do think that's a pretty significant piece of a pack tactics deck because it helps enable a a good pack tactics attack on turn four. But then it leaves behind a 3-3 body that's, what what are you doing? You're just trading with a Null Hunter or a Hobgoblin Captain at that point. Speaking of pack tactics, Null Hunter as the number one green common? It has to be, right? I just It just keeps moving up in my pick order. And while I love Owlbear and I love Hill Giant Herdgorger and I feel fine about Spoils of the Hunt... I, I just keep coming back to this two drop is great. Like it just blocks fine. And I have found it to snowball pretty effectively in aggressive green, red, green, white decks. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Null Hunter gets better the more of them you have. I think that is true, especially if you're trying to beat down. I'm coming around to that as well, mostly because Elter Guard Ranger, which is the four one that brings a two two wolf along with it, is kind of interchangeable with Owlbear. Shout out to Triple B, I think, who was talking about that in the Discord. And I mean, Owlbear is obviously better than Ranger, but if you don't get the Owlbears, you're fine playing Elter Guard Rangers. And it's not that much of a dip in power level. Uh, to me, Null Hunter and Hill Giant Herd Gorger are the two like sort of tipping points. And honestly, I don't really want to draft green if I don't end up with Herd Gorgers. So I think I might be on Herd Gorger as number one, but I, I can definitely get behind Null Hunter as well. I just still think two drops are so, so important. And like, you know, like you just, I think your deck will fail enough if you don't get to five or six two drops in the format that I, I've been prioritizing Null Hunter as the best green common. So let me throw this thought out at you and see what your reaction is. How do you feel about, you know, whatever other color you're pairing with green? Like to me, green strength is, you know, Owlbear, Elter Guard Ranger, Hill Giant Herd Gorger, like if you pair it with some other color and then you plan to trade those two drops off from the other color or whatever Null Hunters you happen to get to get you to that other stuff. That's how I've been drafting green a little bit more. Yeah, and I think you definitely have way more experience drafting green, so I, I will defer to you here. The times I've been happiest with green is doing like two drop, three drop bard or whatever. Like I've been drafting green, red aggro or green, white aggro when I've drafted green and basically 
as, as I will talk about later, I'm hoping to like never draft blue green basically and kind of feel similarly about green black. Like green black just feels like stuff. And in that deck, I think the five and six drops are much more important. But yeah, that, that's sort of how I've been approaching green is as an aggressive color. Cool. How do you feel about this next take? I think Spiked Pit Trap might be underrated currently, as it is essentially colorless Farida's Fireball. I agree. I mean, you'll play it if you need removal. I think, you know, black yeah. and red decks never need removal. But I could see mm-hmm. it in, like, potentially green decks if you don't get the fight cards, punch cards. What are they called? Bite cards. Bites, yeah. Bite <laughs> cards. Blue decks definitely want access to Spiked Pit Trap for sure. Like <laughs> if you're blue white, maybe you're blue green, certainly. Yeah, just getting the stuff off the battlefield. If you're blue white and you don't get the you hear something on watches, um, I think it's just a way to get something off the battlefield. Anyway, it's been a card that like, yeah, I'm just like happy to include one of in, in some decks. So our last point here before we get into blue is that you've said you've played Black White Venture a little more. And I want to hear about it because I feel like I was like waxing poetic about the deck last week and I'd love to hear your take on it. Yeah, it's just really fun. If you get repeated ways to venture, I think it's a really good shell. You know, like if you get a dungeon map and you get it's very uncommon based and you have to get past those uncommons. But, you know, the the gargoyle that turns into a three, four flyer is good. You know, if you complete a dungeon and you know, I've opened Acer Iraq and I got to do like going off with Acer Iraq and sometimes you go through Tomb of Annihilation and it's awesome. And other times you just use it as three mana venture and you go through some of the other two things. I don't know. I've really liked the deck and turning precipitous drops into minus five minus five feels good. There is synergy there. It's just hard to get it to come together. But I, I think I have enjoyed it for that reason is that it feels like a synergistic deck that's not red black. And it's just kind of a different change of base. Yeah, it's one of the few decks that I feel like changes your pick order. Like the other day, I was drafting a really good version of it that, that I think 306 owed. And I think in pack two or pack three, I took a fourth precipitous drop over a grim bounty because i was like this thing is just it's grim bounty with venture in my deck at this point yeah that's very cool it's a really fun deck so speaking of fun decks blue decks are not so fun huh (laughs) it's tough yeah i think blue really i i've not felt a color disparity in the force like this basically since black in m21 would you agree with that yeah and i think this is the biggest color disparity I've ever felt since starting the podcast for sure. Yes. Like this is bordering on like green in battle for Zendikar, maybe more so than that. Yeah. I mean, I think there was like a huge disparity, like Terrace Beyond Death, like black was really overpowered in that format. But even by the end, like I think red was creeping up on its tails a little bit. But yeah, here I just think blue is is so far down in the dumps. And I know we've talked about it before, and I know many other content creators have talked about this too, but I do think it's important to sort of dive a little deeper about why. I think there are also some blue apologists out there that I would like to maybe like push back on a little bit because I have just found there's a handful of cards that make me want to get into blue, and then that's about it. And those handful of cards are at rare or mythic. They're, They're not uncommons or commons for me. Yeah, I agree completely with that. So let's dive into the rares of Mythic. First up is Imrith Desert Doom. That's like the 5-5 Mythic Dragon that draws you cards whenever you connect with it. That card is absurd, and you should try to draft blue, and you should try to ramp it out if you are a blue deck that plays Imrith. Yeah, Mind Flayer is next. That's the Control Magic creature. I think that's a, a very strong pull into blue for sure. 
And then Mordekainen, which is the blue planeswalker that makes a dog equal to the number of cards in your hand and also just has an absurd amount of loyalty after you uptick it. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I feel like really confident with those three. And I think important to note that we're like talking about just blue cards, not like splashable cards like Xanathar or whatever that are, you know, you can play that in black red or whatever, just if you can make treasures. But so like double pipped blue cards here or even something like a blue two drop like Yuan T. Malison. So that's the one on a blue two one uh, when it attacks alone. It's unblockable. And when it connects, you venture. And I've even splashed that in my white black venture decks. I do think that is a strong blue card. I also did that this week as well. So those are the four that I feel like confident in. And then I have a couple of question marks here. So first question mark is Dragon Turtle. That's the one blue blue for a three five with flash enters the battlefield, tap a thing down. It's tapped. And both of those things don't untap during their controller's next untap step. I'm buying Dragon Turtle. I think you're not excited about it but you could first pick that out of a pack and end up drafting blue x certainly like maybe you first pick dragon turtle and then you take some cards of another color and then you see that blue is flowing you're like okay i've already got this dragon turtle sure i'll play blue x if if the format is still about like just rate for cards as we were talking about last week which i do think it is right it, it is still that for me much more about what your cards do individually three mana for a three five is big game next up is grazalax illithid scholar this is the one blue blue three two whenever creature you control becomes blocked you can return it to its owner's hand and then whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player you draw a card like this is fine it's kind of just a fancy soul thief right yeah yeah the soul knife spy i i think it's uh i think it's just a little awkward because blue doesn't get to play an aggressive game very much like sometimes you'll have your blue black tempo decks though i think the amount of times i've talked about that deck on this podcast versus the amount of times that i've actually drafted that (laughs) deck is a little disproportionate because like i just like really enjoyed it this like one or two times and it's just so hard to come together I think I'm out on Grazalax as a reason to draft blue. I agree. Not interested. It's just the body is not good enough. It's not good enough. And there's just not the support for blue to back it up of like, hey, here's this tempo aggro game plan. And blue's just like, I can't really do that very well. <laughs> the last card I have here is the wizard's spell book, which is this it's the seven mana, like do nothing except then it does something. But you have to have mana still. I, I don't love it. You have to have instants and sorceries, which isn't really something you get a lot. Have you faced this card or played with this card? I have not. It would shock me if this were playable in the format. Yeah, so I I think I'm out on Wizard Spellbook. So that's that's five. There's really four cards that we're excited about, maybe a fifth. And that's it. So let's let's go to the uncommons. I was looking through the uncommons, went to Scryfall. I was like, all right, what are the blue uncommons? Let me take a look at all these. Literally none of the uncommons make me want to draft blue and i think i've listed a few cards here that i think we may get some pushback on and wanted to sort of like try and put out those fires prematurely so the first one here is aberrant mind sorcerer that's the four and a blue three four etbs you roll a d20 and depending on the roll you can either uh grab a instant or sorcery from your graveyard put it into your hand or put it on top of your library this is one of the biggest die roll disparity cards for me right like getting the the spell back to your hand great getting the spell on top of your library not so great yeah i have not been happy with aberrant mind sorcerer at all i think unless you're playing the pixie guide yeah and the body isn't great right like you get five mana for a three four you think about veteran dungeoneer is four mana for a three four just doesn't quite hold up right the body's too inconsequential at that point in the game next up is blue dragon which is the seven mana five five flyer and when it etbs you get to do a reverse cone of flame where you give you know one creature minus three minus oh next minus two minus oh and then last minus one minus oh and it lasts until your next turn so when you cast this it's very good and very game swinging 
But seven mana is so much in this format. And if you're drafting blue, you want blue dragon, but it's not quite good enough to pull you into blue. Right, exactly. I can't believe you called reverse cone of flame. That What a way to describe the effect that this has. Is that not how you think of it? That was the first <laughs> thing I thought of when I saw this card. I don't think of that at all. And I love how like you say it, but then we still have to explain what the card does. Just A plus content right here. I, listen, sir. That was a great description. That's exactly what it is. I said A plus content. I'm agreeing with you. I, I agree. I just like seven man is a ton. I do think the five five body is is big. It's this weird tension as you described of like when you're in blue, you want this card, but you don't want to be blue enough to play this card or to like draft this card highly. Yes. All right, Feywild Trickster. This is the dice rolling payoff, right? Get a one one, and definitely always feels like when I see it, it's a must kill threat, right? It's very scary. But it's so fussy. I still feel the same way I did two weeks ago when we talked about the dice rolling deck as like you have to assemble this column A plus column B thing. And if your column A gets killed, your column B's are all clunky. Yes, I think of all of the blue uncommons, Feywild Trickster gets the closest to pulling me into blue, except I know that deck's not good. So I don't really want to do the thing like I would rather get forced into the dice rolling deck than see a Feywild Trickster and think, yes, I'm going to take Feywild Trickster and then do this thing because I think it leads you into a tier three archetype honestly yeah and i've seen it work outside of blue red like i've seen people play it in blue black or maybe they're playing like herald of hadar or something or like these repeatable dice rolling things or you can't really do it in blue white right white doesn't roll dice um maybe you're doing a blue green too like i have seen it outside of blue red um but I, again i I've, I've tried to draft it sometimes it just doesn't hold the like power that i want it to for me to feel like i should build around it yeah maybe it's an insanely good c plus i have seen it in tandem with the the two three vigilance that rolls dice on attacks that was pretty impressive yeah so and shepherd that's a good one next up is wizard class it's the single blue class enchantment first level you've got no maximum hand size when you level it up for two and a blue you basically cast divination draw two cards and then on level three for four and a blue whenever you draw a card you get to put a plus one plus one counter on a creature i like this card it's close again like fey wild trickster to getting me to want to draft blue and i think from my blue opponents when they play this on turn one I'm a little worried about it. Uh, that is not how I feel at all. I, I think I think this card is really kind of bad. This does not feel like a divination format to me. Like when my opponent plays wizard class and then dumps mana into this, I feel great. When my opponent casts whatever that, what's the four mana, like contact other plane, when they cast that, end of turn, I feel fine. Like I'm always so scared. Like, oh God, they're passing with four mana up. What are they going to do? And then they're casting divination. I don't really care about that. And the, the level three not impacting the board, I think, is really bad. Like, you know, Druid class gives you a big land or the Cleric class gives you a reanimation thing. Like, then you're just like tapping out for this to get some sort of incremental value later. I, I don't know. I, I do not like this card. So I think one of the things that blue is best at is gumming up the ground. And I think if your blue opponents or you, if you're playing wizard class, can get the game to a board stall, this is your win condition, right? Because this gives you the two cards, you know, it replaces itself and then is also going to just incrementally make your, your creatures bigger. I agree. I have not loved the, the draw to at instant speed at all. But for some reason, wizard class has impressed me out of my opponents. Maybe I, I have had just like good fortune in terms of like my opponents not having the board presence you're talking about. But I feel like I just want to pay if I'm paying five mana for something, it better be a rhyme shield giant. It, it can't be <laughs> this level three do nothing. Sure. We're going to be in agreement about this next card, which is fly the single blue enchantment enchanted creature has flying. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you venture into the dungeon. Holy cow, this card is terrible. 
Do you know how many creatures in this format have flying already and can just block this? A lot. A lot. It's so bad. It really is terrible, but I don't understand the obsession with it. I feel like there are people that like this card a lot or think it's like situationally powerful. This card is a borderline F, right? I, I, like, I would rate this card a D minus. Yes, I, I think let's just I want to just give that firm stamp of an F on this card. I tried <laughs> to do the Ixalan thing the other day. I drafted two flies and moon blessed clerics to tutor them up and two of the dive downs that you see a guard approach like give a thing hex proof to be like, OK, I'm going to assemble my little aura creature thing and then I'm going to have a way to protect it and I'm just going to go to town and venture and kill my opponent. And it just did nothing like they would just play a Dawnbringer cleric and blow up the fly or they'd have a flyer to block it. And I was like, oh, God, this guy, what have I done? I've drafted this terrible deck around this card that is just horrible. So, yeah, never again. And I would highly recommend you listeners not to do that either. Right. Well, there's so many layers of problems, right? You're just going to get two for one because there's so much removal. And then also the problem that Blue has with other things like Soul Knife Spy is like very often you're not the beatdown. Yeah, that's the whole problem with blue. This is the this is the reason that the color doesn't get to do anything good is because you can't be really aggressive with it, but you also can't really do controlling stuff well either. Which brings us to the commons. And I couldn't tell you to this day what blue's top commons are. I think like Air Cult Elemental is good and Clever Conjurer has actually impressed me and Rhyme Shield Frost Giant is huge and I guess Shortcut Seeker... As a 2-5, like I'm sort of off Soul Knife Spy, honestly. Yes, that card can be very good and snowball-y, but I don't think Blue has the goods to back it up most of the time. I agree. I think if you let Soul Knife Spy pull you into Blue, you're in for a rough time. Here's my hot take. There aren't top Blue commons. I think it's just if you find yourself drafting Blue, Blue's commons do different things well, and I think you need to identify what things your deck wants, and you need to draft those Blue commons that do the things that your deck wants. Yeah, it's unlike any of the other colors. And I think you could maybe make an argument for green, though. Green, I think green's commons do some stuff. But like other than the other colors, it doesn't have cards at common that should be pulling you into that color, right? It's like green was in Aquaria or in Zendikar Rising, right? Like you should be getting into green for other reasons in those formats. And I think you should be getting into blue for basically just that handful of rares that we talked about earlier. Right. And I think Genie wins here is the best common as far as power level which is the three and a blue three three flyer and when etbs you roll a die and it lets you scry one two or three depending on the die roll that's a good magic card right it's just so poorly suited to this format because the blue decks so frequently end up not being the beat down because it's just worse at attacking than the other colors and then when you end up in a spot where your four mana play is trading with a two drop so much of the time right yeah I think, you know, how, how much better blue would have been if it had like an essence scatter variant? I have felt so warm and fuzzy against blue decks that pass on turn two, just knowing I get to stick my hobgoblin captain or my null hunter or whatever, and I don't have to fear anything. Yeah, that's weird that it doesn't have that kind of thing. Because the two three mana value counter spells have felt clunky. And like, I guess you can sort of do a thing on turn four where you're passing with mana up. But the problem with counter spells is you can't really afford to have them in limited when you're behind on board, right? Because your opponent can just play around them or whatever. Like you need to affect the board and then it's awkward because like, when are you holding the mana up? And the fact that they're both the same mana value is pretty, pretty awkward. Yeah. So let's dive into Blue's Commons. You know, if we're thinking about them like a toolbox, I think the problem is that they're rusty, old, nasty tools compared <laughs> to like red and black shiny new tools. But yes. there is a toolbox and they do 
play roles, right? So if you have an air called elemental, which is the six mana two five flyer that bounces on ETB, I think you want that card if your blue deck is interested in top end defense or maybe like you're interested in pushing through cards like Soul Knife Spy, but mostly I have thought about Air Cult Elemental as a great defensive card that then once you've stabilized can turn into your way to win the game. I totally agree. And I think I think once you're in blue, you want you actively want this card. I mean, depending on what it's competing for in the six mana value slot, but I do think like one to two copies of this card is quite good. Yep. Arcane Investigators next is the one in a blue two one. You can pay six to roll a D20. And if it's one through nine, you get to just draw a card. And if it's 10 through 20, you get to like look at the top three and pick one and put it into your hand. It's a mana sink if you can stabilize reliably. But I will say, like I've been saying for a few weeks now that I think your mana sinks in this format largely want to be venturing. I just don't think your mana sinks want to be drawing you cards. And maybe this is why I'm not crazy about wizard class either. But I have felt a tension sometimes when drafting blue of like, okay, what am I going to be doing with my mana because I don't want it to be split between venturing and drawing cards because drawing cards is going to be better initially, but venturing gets better as the game progresses. The more I venture, right, the more I can get, maybe I can complete lost mine and then I can maybe get to the late stages of mad mage to really reap that value. And there is this awkwardness of like, well, what am I going to be pumping my mana into as the game progresses? Right. I think Arcane Investigator fills that role pretty nicely, right? This is the two drop you want in blue, because if you have to trade it off, great, you're fine. Because you have to play some number of two drops just to be able to, you know, block your opponent's things if you're in a spot where you can block. And then Mm -hmm. if you draw this later, it is good, you know, if the game has stalled out. Yeah. Okay. Next up is Charmed Sleep. That's a one blue blue and it taps something down on ETBs and then the creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. I think you only play Charmed Sleep if you are desperate for removal yeah i agree this is a pretty big fail i think for the format uh a card that i have liked is clever conjurer i think nipping to five and six drops that you plan to win with is a a real thing to do and three mana for the two three body is not bad right it ramps you to your five drop and then later when you don't need the ramp anymore it does still have relevant stats i think yeah or you can just be like look i would like to ramp on turn three but i'm being beaten down and i need to trade this with a hobgoblin captain Right. Next up is Genie Windseer. And I think, you know, we talked about that already. It's the 3 3 flyer. You want that if you're an aggressively slanted blue deck, but it's so hard to end up in an aggressively slanted blue deck. I think red blue is probably the most suited to do that. Maybe blue black as well, but definitely not blue green. And I think blue white, not so much either. I think you can do blue white skies. I drafted like one deck like that, but I, I agree. It doesn't happen very often. Pixie guide. Okay. You got baited into drafting blue red dice rolling like two mana for the one three flying body isn't very good. And and the dice rolling thing isn't that great. I think maybe there's like a, a version of, of these decks that is just fine. Like I have found pixie guide a little annoying for my opponents that it dodges you know, it dodges improvised weaponry. It it still does stick around with a precipitous drop on it, right? The three toughness does a thing. It can it can hold off your steadfast paladin. It can trade with the captain, whatever. Like it's not that bad of a body, but I still don't think it's a card I'm interested in putting in my deck most of the time. I would push back against that a little bit. I think it's a pretty inconsequential body in that, like, you don't want to block with it because you want it to stick around to make your dice rolls better, right? Yeah, like, for I, sure. It's awkward in that sense. Like you spent a whole card to make these other cards that aren't very good have a slightly higher chance of being better. I don't know. I don't I don't like Pixie Guide much. I, I don't either, but I will I just feel like I never play it personally. And I like I said, I've played blue a fair amount, but I when I face it, I have found it sometimes annoying to get off the battlefield. Sure. Next up is Rhyme Shield Frost Giant. That's the three blue blue for the four five with 
Ward three, four, three, three. Yeah, it's this is a big boy. It's so large. It blocks everything. And the fact that it doesn't die to removal and it makes it way more difficult to get a price of loyalty just because they have to pay the extra three. I, I feel very warm and fuzzy when I stick a Rhyme Shield Frost Giant on turn four. I haven't done it a lot, but the times it happens and the times your opponents do it, it's like, well, crap, how am I going to get that off the battlefield? You just don't. I mean, you get to six mana or whatever and you minimus containment it, but it's hard. It's hard to remove. Cyan of Stygia. This is essentially whatever Frost Links, the, right? That. Two in a blue, two one, flash, ETBs, either keep the thing tapped for just a turn or two turns, depending on how you roll your dice. Like this would be a lot better if two things were right. One, if two if blue got to play a tempo game very well, which it doesn't, or doesn't very often. Or two, if blue wasn't so clogged at three, that's the other problem. Like all these cards, Clever Conjurer, Cyan of Stygia, Soul Knife Spy, the counter spells, like Charmed Sleep. How many three drops can you put in your deck right well and this is just awkward and it doesn't guarantee do the thing you want to do i don't know i yes. see so many people talking about how they like this card and this might be the best blue common and things like that i just am not buying it i think this card is a fine speed bump against aggro decks like i think you want to play cyan of stygia to get to your five and six drops you play this lock down an attacker and then maybe it trades with something else, and it just helps get you to turn four, five, and six. That's that's the use I see for this card. Another thing that I think we kind of missed initially, you know, one of the things we look at in the crash courses, or what what are the what's the X one hate? And there wasn't really any in the format, right? There's not anything that really preys upon one toughness creatures, except that everyone has access to goblin tokens from Lost Mine, and it's not hard to get to because it's the second level. And like swarming goblins is so good, or like uh, the morning star is so good, and it makes a goblin, and that does make the two one body or x one bodies worse in the format. I think certainly if you're trying to attack with it, yeah, that's why I view this as a defensive speed bump. Yeah, and then it's not that great, even if it's doing that. Right. Um, a card that I have liked, though five mana is a hefty cost to venture, is Secret Door, single blue, 04. It is an artifact, and you can pay four and a blue at sorcery speed to venture into the dungeon. It's a it's a good good blocker here early in the game, right? It doesn't disincentivize blocks because it doesn't have power, but it does still like hold off stuff, and it's going to gain you some life over the course of the game if it's on turn one. I would like Secret Door a lot better if it weren't an artifact, because when this gets nabbed by a plundering barbarian, you just feel terrible, right? Your opponent two for one Jew. I think if this were just an 04 that didn't die that card, it would be so much better because it's really good at blocking Hobgoblin captains, right? Like that's its best thing. But then the Hobgoblin decks also want Plundering Barbarians and then your one drop just gets ETB'd by a Plundering Barbarian. And I think that's just a game losing type of thing. Yeah, but then you're, if it wasn't an artifact, your Oswald Fiddlebender couldn't tutor it up by sacking a treasure. <laughs> oh <So> my lord. <laughs> which do you think is going to come up more often, Ben? Yeah, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> next up is shortcut seeker this is three and a blue for the two five i love this card I think this is a great blocker if you want to get to the late game i don't think you end up attacking with it a lot but the threat of attacks is real your opponent has to respect it a little bit i just think this is great stats for four mana i agree i, I think wish coin crab is good again in this format soul knife spy i like I, i'm sort of off it I, you can make it good if you're aggressive and have a lot of interaction if you've got ways to sneak it through like a cradle or a thieves tools or you're you know bouncing stuff or tapping stuff but those decks are hard to come together i think yeah and lastly the counter spells i think the format is just 
too fast for those counter spells to be playable. How do you think about that? I, I totally agree. Like, I, I don't know. Sometimes I get tilted when what with bar the gate is the, the counter thing and then venture. Sometimes that card tilts me a little bit. The other one doesn't at all. Like, I'm like, great, you put this bad card in your deck. That's fine. And they're just easy to play around sometimes, too. I, I just don't think you can you can afford to pass with three mana up and then do nothing. Right. Yeah, so those are the commons, and I mean, we didn't list them all, but those are the ones that I have found the most use for, and none of those make you want to draft blue, I don't think. No, not at all. And, and I will say, funnily enough, like after day one or whatever, figuring out like, oh, blue is blue is pretty terrible. I have still played blue a number of times, and most of my blue decks trophy, but blue is not like the crux of the deck a lot of the time. Like it's definitely always the secondary color and I get into it late unless I'm opening some of those, you know, handful of bombs or whatever. Right. Yes. You definitely want to be getting into blue if you're getting into it on the wheel in pack one where you're like, okay, nobody wants to draft blue at this table. Sure, I'll do it. And then you read the blues open and then maybe in pack two or pick three, you get hooked up with some rares like that. Those are the two ways to get into it, right? You either open one of those rares or you get into it as your secondary color and then you're hoping to get past some good blue cards because nobody else at the table is drafting blue. I mean, I'll, I'll jump ahead to the show notes right now. This is this is this is my fast and loose. How am I getting into blue? I draft a white controlling shell and I get past late Hama Pashars or Black Staffs. I open Xanathar, which has only happened once. And I see a path to blue black with Cridal or maybe Rogue's class. So I'm not even convinced that Rogue's class is a pull. And I am really, like I've said, I'm just not interested in drafting blue green or blue red for basically the rest of the format. Yeah, I have found blue green to be fairly potent at times from my opponents, just depending on what happens in the game. I mean, it can go bigger than all of the other stuff. And I think a lot of blues cards pair well with green cards except you the removal problem is tough to get over and i do if you get dragon's fires i do think blue red can be a force because that's where soul knife spies really go well i don't know i mean you don't want to draft blue that that's the bottom line (laughs) yeah well i want to hear a bit more about blue green here because so i definitely think there i said we should have respect for gretchen and i don't agree with that anymore i think <laughs> i don't think gretchen deserves my respect um i have found sometimes it's rare though but sometimes like i'm in a, a situation with my opponent's blue green deck where they have a gretchen and they have like a big dumb thing and that big dumb thing is something that I, i'm like oh i have to deal with that more immediately for my life total but now there's another problem is that gretchen is going to run away with the game but that's probably more indicative of my deck being bad than my opponent's deck being good i think or maybe they just have a bomb like is there something specific about blue green that you think like can fail less often than other blue decks or something i think the colors pair well together in that both colors want to get to their five and six drops to win the game with. And so I think you play the defensive blue and green cards early, like you're just trading off. This is the deck the most where you're like trading off your two drop, trading off your three drop. And you just want to get to the point where you're sticking Rhyme Shield Frost Giants into Hill Giant Herd Gorger. And, you know, the Clever Conjurer ramps you really well. I just think both colors tend towards their five and six drops. And so they work together in that way. That's what my opponent's blue green decks have frequently done against me. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess green has to play pair with blue to get a mana dork, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've been mostly drafting blue white as a venture control shell. That's that's where I mostly end up. Or and this has happened to me multiple times as like blue white with an artifact sub theme with Oswald or black staff. And that's worked out well too. Or maybe a heavy blue splash in a white black venture deck. But that's been how I've been 
getting into blue most often. And I've liked that. Like I said, I have, I have trophied a fair number of times with blue, but you just have to be getting into it for the right reasons. Blue, black. I know, I know I've talked about the tempo aggro version. Have you had a chance to play with that yet? I have not played blue, black yet at all. My blue decks have been blue, red, or blue, green. And blue, red, has it been strictly dice rolling or have you gotten to do not dice rolling or maybe that comes together, but it's not a key part of the deck? Yeah, the I've drafted dice rolling once, a dedicated dice rolling deck, and I was pretty off that. The other times I've drafted blue red, it's been just blue red good cards, and specifically Dragon's Fires, Soul Knife Spies, and or like I've also had a blue red deck that was kind of controlling, just very interactive, and then had Rhyme Shield Frost Giants and the Six Six, you know, just to finish games out. And it, it was kind of real with commons and uncommons when I didn't pay attention to the dice rolling thing so much. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just it's tough. It's tough to have a color that's so weak or just like undesired. But but here's the crazy thing, though, is that I feel like everybody's on blue consensus worst color, but it's not even open that often. Like you can get cut out of blue, which blows my mind. Yes, I agree. It's weird how much people are drafting blue or how contested it is. Yeah, you definitely don't want to compete over it at all. There should be one blue drafter per table. <laughs> I feel pretty confident about that. In your CFB article, you were like, normally when there's this happens and like everyone's off a of color, well, then you like when people are zigging, you zag and then you reap the benefits of drafting blue. But one, that doesn't seem to be happening. And two, I just don't think the tools are there often enough to like be like, all right, well, I'm the only blue drafter. So I'm going to get all the whatever, the, the Rhyme Shield Frost Giants. That's just like, that's not quite good enough. Right. I think it's more that maybe, you know, you start down a color pair and you get cut out of your second color and then blue's open. And so you end up having to move into blue to support whatever your primary color is. And I do think blue's a fine support color, right? Yes. Especially, especially if you can expect to get the good blue cards that get opened. But the problem is there's enough people drafting blue that I don't think you can reasonably expect that, at least at the moment. Yeah. And it's funny. I do think like the, I'm, I'm just trying to like look through, I, you know, I threw a bunch of blue decks in our, uh, a blue trophy decks in our show notes here just to see. And I feel like the cards that come up the most are honestly like Clever Conjurer and Air Cult Elemental, which go along with what you're talking about, which is like blue just wants to like bridge to the late game. And Conjurer does that pretty well, right? As we talked about three mana, two, three, find a trade off with something if you need to and getting you to air cult elemental a turn sooner or whatever is pretty darn good well or even something like you know you imagine you play a two drop and you trade it off great your turn three plays clever conjurer you take a hit you don't block with it and then the next turn you're playing something like elter guard ranger right you're stable mabel at that point and then you can get to your other top end stuff and then and then you you really probably do want to have mana sinks in these decks right you want to have a dungeon map because it sounds like you're all set up to get to the late game so you got to have a dungeon map or an arcane investigator or whatever right that's why i like arcane investigators your twos right because you're fine to trade it off and then if you draw it late it also is super relevant in your blue green deck and you were like dangerously on the precipice of getting me excited to draft blue which i don't <laughs> think is the goal of this episode <laughs> no it is not no, no, it is not. So uh, let's let's take a, a quick trip down a round table here and and maybe see how to or how to not draft blue. Yes, yeah, so this is one of my drafts. Pack one, pick one. You are lucky enough to open Mind Flayer. It's three blue for the three three, and when it enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature for as long as you control Mind Flayer. So I open this and I was like, boom, sweet! I get to finally draft blue. Let's go. So slam dunk Mind Flayer. Pack one, pick one. Great. Well, let me ask you this. Are, are there any uncommons that you would take over mind flare like if you open battle cry goblin would you be like look mind flare is maybe a better card but red is so much better of a color and this is such a good two drop i'm gonna take this instead no mind flare is better than all the commons and uncommons i think okay 
Sweet. Yeah, and I think the red cards, like theoretically, you should be getting pushed out of those colors more often. Like theoretically, if you pick Mind Flayer, you should get to pick play Mind Flayer. I know, but that's the thing that I, I feel like it doesn't happen that often, though. Yeah, we'll see. So after slamming Mind Flayer, moving on to pack one, pick two, you see the following cards as options. Blue cards in the pack, there's you find the villain's lair, that's the counterspell. You come to a river, that's the bounce or plus one, plus one, unblockable. And a genie wins here, probably the best of the blue cards. It's three and a blue for a three, three flyer. When ETBs, you roll a D20 and then scry one, two, or three, depending on the result. Other cards, there's at Uncommon, a Trellisara the Moon Dancer. It's green, white for the two, two. When you gain life, put a plus one, plus one counter on Trellisara and scry one. There's a Temple of the Dragon Queen if you want to invest in some fixing. And not much else past that. Yeah, so this is, I mean, like this is a, a classic example of what's the best card in the pack, period. And then what's the best card in the pack, for what you've drafted. And I think that comes down to Trellisara versus Ginny Winsier. And what's the power level disparity there? Trellisara is a B. Is it a B plus in the green white deck? It's a solid B in the green white deck. Although I have found some awkward tension in that sometimes it's hard to get as many life gain triggers as you would want in a green white yeah. deck. Like there are some versions of green white that just don't care about gaining life at all. So I would give Trellisara like a B minus B. Okay. And then Ginny Winsier is C plus. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's as bad as a C. So it's like a, a pretty big gap, like two gradations, potentially three gradations. If it's if Trellisara is a B and Ginny's a C, I think Ginny's a C plus. So I think I would take the hit and power level here in terms of wanting to play Mind Flayer and take the Winsier. Yeah, I think Trellisara is enough better than Ginny Winsier that I would. But take you don't Trellis even sound that excited about Trellisara. B minus. I'm not. But here's my thought process: If Green White is open and I have to move off of Mind Flayer, I'm gonna really miss Trellisara. Yeah. And if Blue is open, I yeah. should get all of the Genie Winsiers that I want, right? Because nobody else should be drafting Blue. And if Blue and is contested. I don't want to fight over blue. You are 100% right. And you would rather just have a 2-5 as your 4-drop with a Mind Flayer, right? Because you just want to get to late game. You just want to maximize your possibility of seeing Mind Flayer so you don't even care about the wins here that much. That was my thought process. Yeah. All right. You sold me. I'm, I'm down for Trellisara. All right. So I did grab Trellisara, pack one, pick two. Moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards as options. As blue cards in the pack, there's a Clever Conjurer, the 2-3 that untaps a permanent. And Shortcut Seeker, the 2-5 that uh, ventures when it deals damage. Other cards in the pack, there's a Thieves Tools. Has the best black card that's one in a black. When it ETBs, you make a treasure. Equips for two. And Equip Creature can't be blocked as long as power is three or less. Best white card in the pack is Priest of Ancient Lore. Two and a white for the 2-1. When it ETBs, you gain a life and draw a card. And that's really all that's in consideration, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think now that you have Trellisara, you're thrilled to have priest of ancient lore and like that could also just go in a good blue white deck and that's a great three drop for your blue white deck with mind flare so i like priest here over the blue cards yeah for sure so did grab priest there moving on to pack one pick four see the following cards as options there's reaper's talisman i think as the best card in the pack that's black for the artifact equipment when a quick creature attacks against death touch until end of turn and when it attacks alone defending player loses two life and you gain two life and it equips for two. I saw a screenshot of you with three Reaper's Talismans, my friend. Yeah, I could have won the turn before, but then I was like, no, I just want the value for Twitter of having all three Talisman triggers go off on my uh, little hoarding robber. And I got there. Yeah, Reaper's Talisman is nuts. I, I think, I guess Battlecry Goblin is probably better. Maybe Skullport Merchant is better, but it's definitely in the top three uncommons, I would say. 
Yeah. So that's in the pack, I think, as the best card in the pack. Blue cards, there's a Shocking Grasp, which is not in consideration at all. That's the minus two, minus O draw card trick. And there's an Aberrant Mind Sorcerer, four and a blue for a three, four. When it ETBs, you choose an instant or sorcery card in your graveyard, roll a D20. Single digits, you put the card on top. Double digits, you return it to your hand. Other than that, there's not a lot else I think you can even consider. There's no white card that's good enough to even come close to Reaper's Talisman. And the only green card is a Neverwinter Dryad. I, I just think like it's so hard for me to imagine a world in pack one. And I mean, depending on how things go, maybe pack two where I get past a Talisman and don't take it. Because it's also splashable. Because the equip cost doesn't cost a black. And so you can just splash this off of treasure sometimes. Like Talisman is a very powerful card. Yeah. So I did take the Talisman there. So right now we've got Mind Flayer into Trellisara into Priest into Talisman. Which is a great start to a draft. Like before the show, we were looking at this and I was like, I don't think I would have taken Trellisara there. But now you've convinced me of that. And now I like really love this start of you can do a lot of stuff, right? You can be blue white, you can be blue black, you can be white black, you can be blue white and splash the talisman, you can be green white and maybe splash the talisman because it's good in a life gain deck, right? You've got a ton of options in a format where that doesn't happen a lot. Right. I think this is a very interesting draft and we're in a great spot. I feel good about where we're at right now. Yeah. So moving on to pack one, pick five, you see the following cards as options. There's an evolving wilds to maybe fix and or splash some of these cards we've got. There's Yuan-Ti Fangblade, Tuna Black for a 2-2 Death Touch. When it deals combat damage to a player, you venture into the dungeon. There's Sepulchre Ghoul, one in a black for the 2-1. You sack another creature to give it plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. And there's like an Arborea Pegasus potentially, 3 and a white for a 2-3 Flyer. When it ETBs, target creature gets plus 1, plus 1 and gains flying until end of turn. That's really about it. Yeah, I think based off of my big spiel just now of like, we can do anything. We have a ton of options. Evolving Wilds feels pretty good to me to just sort of keep my options open. We've got a very splashable card in Talisman already, and I think that's where I'd like to land. Yeah, I took Sepulchre Ghoul here, and I don't really like that pick much looking at this pack. I, I kind of agree. I want to be on Evolving Wilds here. Maybe we splash something. Even if we don't splash, I've liked access to an Evolving Wilds or two just to help fix colors of mana. And I think mm-hmm. if we weren't on Evolving Wilds, I think Yuan-Ti Fangblade would be next for me ahead of Sepulchre Ghoul. I think that's because like Sepulchre Ghoul is much better than Fangblade if you're in Red Black, but Yuan-Ti is much better in Esper. Yes. All right. So I took Sepulchre Ghoul, but let's say we took an Evolving Wilds for the sake of science. Great. Love science. (laughs) Moving on to pack one, pick six. See the following cards as options. There's you hear something on watch, one and a white for an instant. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn or deals five damage to an attacking creature. There's Pixie Guide as the best blue card, one and a blue for a one, three. And then if you roll a dice, you roll two instead. And then green cards, there's Druid class, one and a green. Whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. Level two for two and a green, you can play an additional land on each of your turns. And level three, four and a green, you get a land equal power and toughness to the number of lands you control. Yeah, Druid class feels like it's at its best in green-white life gain. And even then, you got to have a lot of the life gain payoffs, which you already have one of, right? You've got Trellisara, but you do need to have like, I don't know, four or five before this card is feeling like it's pulling its weight. Yeah, I remember tanking on this pick because if we're green-white, Druid class is going to be better than you hear something on watch, I think. Or you should at least speculate on it because the the ceiling is much higher this early in the draft. But I was still hoping to play Mind Flayer at this point. And so you hear something on watch is much better if we end up white-black and it's much better if we end up white-blue. So I did land on you hear something on watch here, but I think it's an interesting pick. I also think you hear something I watch is playable in green white, right? Like, oh, even sure. if you're in a, an assertive version. So I don't hate taking that. Yeah, yeah. So I did land on you hear something on watch here. But also like, where are the blue cards? 
I don't know. They don't get any better. So moving on to pack one, pick seven, you see the following cards as options. There are zero blue cards in the pack, pack one, pick seven. So I don't know, maybe our neighbor opened a Mind Flayer or a Xanathar or something. Um, but cards left in the pack that we're interested in, there's an Underdark Basilisk, uh, one in green for the one, two Death Touch. Purple Worm, baby. 5GG for an 8-7, cost two less to cast if a creature died this turn, and Ward 2. Where are you at in a vacuum on Purple Worm versus Hill Giant Herd Gorger? The Herd Gorgeous 10 out of 10 times. I think so. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I'm glad to hear you say that. It's kind of crazy that Purple Worm just didn't get there for me in this format. So those are the green cards. Moving on to white. There's a Dwarf Hold Champion, one and a white for a 3-1. If it's equipped, it gets plus L plus 2. And there's also Celestial Unicorn, two and a white for the 3-2. Whenever you gain a life, put a plus one plus one counter on it. And then in black, there's a Sepulchre Ghoul running around. Yeah, um, I think... Celestial Unicorn is the best card for green-white, which feels like the most likely deck for you to end up in. Though I do think Dwarf Hall Champion, you could just make an argument for, for just like you just want two drops rather than like synergy pieces, even maybe in a green-white deck. It also gives you outs to being white-black still or white-blue. Actually, I think I'm going to change my answer to Champion. Yeah, I could see Champion. I took the Unicorn. Unicorn's been a bit underwhelming unless you get the bonker start in green-white yeah. because even with one counter, it still trades with a lot of the two and three mana things. You really need to get two counters on it before you're getting out of attack range. And and then it's still trading with things sometimes or can be double blocked. It's not yeah. been that impressive unless you really go off with it. Yeah, and Champion has felt, like I've said, there's not a ton of X1 hate outside of the goblins. Um, so it's a little worse maybe, but I do think the two mana three one is, is good on attacks and good on blocks most of the time. Right, and Purple Worm is great here too, right? But to me, it's a little less exciting because I still am hoping to play Mind Flayer. And if we take Purple Worm, the odds of that happening are a lot less, right? Because blue hasn't been flowing. So if we're going to play the mind player, it would be heavy white with a little bit of blue. Right. At this point, and this is a really good example of this, at this point in the draft, I think you just want to get out of pack one as deep into white as possible, right? You've got priest, you've got you hear something on watch, and then it's you've got Trellisara, so you could get into white green, you could get into white black with talisman, you could get into white blue with mind flayer, but it does feel like white is your pivot color at this point. Whereas if you take a green card like Basilisk or Purple Worm, you're kind of locking yourself into white green in, in a sense. Whereas if you just take white cards from this point out, you give yourself a much better shot at opening something great in a second color or being past something great in a second color in pack two. Right. So you're sacrificing immediate power in taking purple worm for future flexibility down the road. That's the trade-off. And I think it's a, a trade-off worth making for sure. Yeah. You might call it delaying the decision. Who knows? Boom. You might. Moving on to pack one, pick eight, see the following cards as options. There's you hear something on watch. There's another celestial unicorn. And in blue, there's a rhyme shield frost giant, the three blue four five ward three. Yeah, I would just take another you hear something on watch, which like is slightly worse in white green, I guess, getting the second copy, but really good if you end up white black or white blue. Yes, this was before I had my you hear something on watch epiphany. So I would I would definitely be on you hear something on watch now. Nice. Yeah, so draft rounds out, uh, pack one, pick nine, we wheel an Evolving Wild into a Temple of the Dragon Queen, so definitely have Splashing online if we want. Uh, took a plus two mace, pack one, pick 11, over a Clever Conjurer, so maybe you could take Conjurer there and move into blue-white, but honestly, at this point, I felt blue was cut and that I didn't want to fight over blue, that Mind Flayer was not that good. Yeah, I agree with that, and it's also the classic example of like, if blue is open, you'll get clever conjurers. So like, I don't know, I think I would still be on the let's get out of pack one as white as we possibly can, because like 
the plus two mace, while not exciting, like if you open Brunor, pack two, pick one, then you'll be happy you took it. Right, for sure. So uh, pack two, we opened Power Word Kill, and we actually ended up navigating into black-white a little bit. Got a, Picked up a dungeon map in pack two, so the deck ended up black-white. It could have been green-white as well, for sure. And I was a little uh, loath to move into green-white after passing the Druid class, and we just didn't see much green in pack two, and we did see some good black, so... Deck was very heavy white with a little bit of black, and it played out fine. Nice, yeah. It's just tough when you get you open a bomb like that, but then like the color's so weak and it doesn't flow. Sometimes you just have to abandon ship. Yeah, and I think I was maybe a little too tunnel visioned on blue not being open. I think looking back at the draft, if I had wanted to play Mind Flayer, I probably could have played blue white splash the talisman and the power word kill or something i think i should have been a little more open to that wavelength and maybe the deck would have been better i do think i do think mind flare is powerful enough to do something like that that it can be a just hold on for dear life kind of card but with how low of a power level blue is at, it is tough sometimes yeah so interesting draft and i think you know hopefully you glean something out of this episode whether it's you know when you get pushed into blue what blue cards you want to use in your decks and or maybe just to be aware that you should be a lot more uh, stingy about when you choose to get into blue. Yeah, be very cautious when approaching the color blue in this format, I would say. You know, the the episode title, Taking the Blue Pill, that's like, uh, isn't the Morpheus thing? Do you want the blue pill or the red pill? That's what I was thinking of. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's also sort of the blue, I think, is a bit of a a bitter pill to swallow in this format. Yeah, it was good. I like like the episode title. So (laughs) great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, as Ben alluded to earlier, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there uh, you can also check us out streaming i'm at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at twitch.tv slash mr metronome mr is spelled out both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later So you say this word funny. Are you saying Ginny instead of Genie? Isn't this Genie? I'm saying I don't know any world where J D J I N N I like is is an E sound. It's not Genie. I just been like this came out of the lamp. It's a Genie. No. I mean the word is Gin, right? I guess yeah. So then why would why would tacking an I on at the end make it Gene Genie? I don't know. Like, okay. Never mind, carry on.